Been all of America. 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 Audio. Ladies and gentlemen, been all of America. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 5. Unbelievable, I can't even wrap my mind around the fact that we are here kicking off our fifth season And we have got some awesome stuff lined up for you in the weeks and months to come here on BOA Audio. Before we even begin the festivities of the season premiere, I want to take a moment here on a more somber note and remember our friend Mac Tonys, who passed away about a month ago. I was completely stunned by Mac's passing. I found it really unsettling is the word that I've used to a lot of people to describe it. It just really shook me up. Obviously, I knew Mac fairly well. We really had become closer in the last year or so. A lot of my really good friends like Greg Bishop and Nick Redfern and Paul Kimball were really tight with Mac, so his death filled me with a lot of profound regret because I never really connected with Mac in the way that my good friends had, but I didn't really worry about it. I'm busy, he was busy, and I always figured, you know, our paths would cross soon enough and we'd really uh, connect in a way that I had with my good friends in the world of esoterica and of course that opportunity is gone now and for someone like me who's a product of the world of online esoterica I mean there was nobody bigger than Mac Tony's in that world his output was tremendous you couldn't go a day without reading four or five amazing news links provided by Mac or tweets or columns that were written by Mac I mean he was omnipresent and such a force in the world of online esoterica that really there is a huge, huge void right now for all of us who are a part of that community. My heart goes out to his family and all of his friends. He is really and truly tremendously missed by so many people in the world of the paranormal and the alternative science. So, you know, we're going to dedicate this week's episode to him. We dedicate the season to him. Mac, thank you for your friendship, for your contributions to the world of esoterica, to your amazing insights into the paranormal. The one thing I guess that we can take solace in is the hope, and uh, for those of us who've really been studying the world of esoterica for a long time, probably the knowledge or the vague knowledge that Mac is somewhere out there right now, and he is enjoying the fruits of his labor and, and really getting the opportunity to dig into the true answers and meaning behind what we've been talking about here on the show for years and what he had been researching for years. He's getting his answers now, my friends, and I guess we should take solace in that and those of us here who are left behind to just try and remember him as best we can. So once again, this episode dedicated to Mac Tonys, this season dedicated to Mac Tonys. Thank you for everything, my friend. You are hugely missed.
Let's move on to some happier news, of course. This is the season premiere of our fifth season here on BOA Audio. Very, very excited about the premiere episode and all the great episodes we have coming up for you in the weeks and months to come. We're going to save a lot of the seasonal preview stuff for after the show, because I know you've been waiting quite a while to hear BOA Audio. Let me just address a few minor notes here for you before we kick off the preview of this premiere with Jim Mars. I got to give a hat tip to Alfred Lemberg, who pointed out on Facebook, it wouldn't be BOA Audio if we weren't a couple of days late. I want to apologize for setting the deadline two days too early for this season premiere. I always forget how much extra work goes into putting out the first episode of the season, and I really uh, dropped the ball on that. But, you know, like I said to Alfred, it wouldn't be BOA Audio if we didn't have some kind of delay in the posting of the episode. And, unfortunately, it wouldn't be BOA Audio if we didn't have a little bit of technical difficulties here in the first episode. Something really weird happened when I was taping the episode with Jim Mars. I talked about this on my recent appearance on Joshua Warren's Speaking of Strange program. For some reason, we got disconnected like four times during the interview. You're not going to hear it, of course. I took all that stuff out. And there was this weird underlying uh, noise factor that was going on. I managed to clean up 90% of that. Chances are you won't even notice it. It is a fairly pristine episode, but I wanted to give you a heads up. And I want to reassure you that all of the following interviews after this week's premiere, including the Jesse Ventura interview at the end of the program, don't have any of the fuzz problems that we had here in the premiere. What is BOA Audio without some scheduling problems and technical difficulties? That is the rawness of the program that you've come to love. So I guess it is the perfect way to premiere this season. Speaking of which, the final note here as we get ready to preview this week's edition of the program is that BOA Audio is moving to Wednesdays starting December 2nd. The simple reason for this is I really kind of looked back on last season, saw how we were really wildly all over the map as far as when the episodes got posted. I took a look at my work schedule and really came to decide that Wednesdays is the ideal date for us to post new episodes. That gives me some wiggle room at the beginning of the week to get things together for you and gives me a feasible deadline to put the episode up. And we are really and truly going to try and stick to this mandate of Wednesdays as the posting date for BOA Audio. So come on back every Wednesday to Banal of America for fresh episodes starting next Wednesday, December 2nd. I'll have more about who the guest is and all that great stuff for you in a little bit. But now it is time to preview the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 5 with the incomparable Jim Mars. I don't need to really wax poetic here about how important and influential Jim Mars has been to my career in the world of esoterica and, of course, the whole field of esoteric studies in general. The man is a legend. He is a renaissance man of epic proportions as far as paranormal and parapolitical genres go. He is amazing, and unlike previous years where we talked about Jim's most recently published book. He didn't have anything that's recently out. He's got a new book that's coming out soon. So this year's conversation definitely takes on more of a jam session feel and really runs the gamut of esoteric genres. We're going to be touching on a myriad of topics, including the JFK assassination, ufology and the UFO phenomenon, 9-11 and the 9-11 truth movement, the present state of political affairs in America, 
secret societies, the potential road sign conspiracy. Very fascinating stuff there. John Teeter, 2012, and tons and tons more stuff. Really across the board, a cornucopia of paranormal, parapolitical, and esoteric topics for you here with the legendary Jim Mars. I know you're going to love this one, folks. It is really quite a conversation. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Jim Mars, please climb out from under the rock you're living and pick up some of his amazing books. But until then, let me give you the bio for him. Jim Mars graduated with a degree in journalism from the University of North Texas, served in the U.S. Army, and then became a reporter for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. He worked for and owned several Texas newspapers before becoming an independent journalist-slash-author. His in-depth investigative book, Alien Agenda, has been cited as the best-selling non-fiction book on UFOs in the world, having been translated into several languages. He's also the author of the New York Times bestsellers Crossfire, The Plot That Killed Kennedy, a basis for the Oliver Stone film JFK, and Rule by Secrecy, The Hidden History That Connects the Trilateral Commission, the Freemasons, and the Great Pyramids. He's also the author of Psy Spies, The Terror Conspiracy, and Rise of the Fourth Reich. His website is www.jimmars.com, J-I-M-M-A-R-R-S.com. Check it out. After the Jim Mars interview, stick around because we've got a mini-interview with Governor Jesse Ventura. Huge name, major star, very excited to be bringing him here to BOA Audio. I'll preview all that good stuff after the Jim Mars interview, but it is a jam-packed premiere here, folks. Jim Mars and Jesse Ventura. And now, without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on November 5th, 2009. Jim Mars on the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 5. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 5. Just sitting here thinking about it, I'm stunned we've made it this far and we're kicking off our fifth year. And there's only one guy we could start the season with, as we do every year. And that's because, really, he lit the fuse for my whole interest in the world of esoterica. I was kind of wandering around, really wondering what direction my life was going to go in back in October of 2002. And I stumbled upon a copy of Jim Mars's Rule by Secrecy, and that opened my eyes to the world of esoterica in a way that uh, no book ever has before or ever since, really. It just uh, changed my life. And every year we kick off the season with Jim Mars because there's nobody better than Jim Mars to really light the fuse on a whole new round of BOA Audio programs, smash the champagne bottle on the side of a whole new season. That's what we got Jim Mars on here for. He is, of course the author of Crossfire, Rule by Secrecy, Alien Agenda, Psy Spies, The Terror Conspiracy, Rise of the Fourth Reich, and above top secret, folks, please welcome the incomparable Jim Mars. Jim, thank you so much for coming back and really uh, helping us kick off a whole new season of BOA Audio. Hey, Tim, it's my pleasure to be with you, and it's great that you're out there with your mind and your eyes and your ears open and, and sharing information because, you know, it's it's like the old Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. Man, we are in some interesting times. And uh, I'll tell you something, if you don't uh, start thinking for yourself and start looking for alternative sources of information uh, as opposed to just watching TV, uh where you're under the total control of uh, five multinational corporations that determine everything you see and hear, uh, then, you know, you don't have a clue and you don't understand what's going on and uh, you're just going to be swept along like a leaf in the wind. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what this program is all about, giving some direction for people to uh, to look and do their own investigating and, and not rely on the mainstream media because they're not going to get a fair shake there. Uh, and, hey, before I forget about it, let me count for a new book of mine that's coming out this month. You beat me to it. I was just going to plug it so you can go fire away. Okay. Um, this is kind of my first foray into what could be called fiction or semi-fiction, or I call it faction. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a rollicking story called Sisterhood of the Rose. Um, and it's a blending of historic fact, historic hidden fact, and uh, the story that a woman told me was her past life. And uh, it, it involves everything. It's got Nazis and Otto Scorzini and Solomon's Treasure and and the uh, Mary Magdalene and the Cathars and the Mystery of Rensselaer Chateau, James Bond, uh, the, the, the author of James Bond, Ian Fleming, Papa Hemingway, uh, it, uh, Mayan Treasure. Uh, Nazi base in Antarctica, you name it, it's got it, and uh, I hope everybody enjoys it. And I'm trying to get out some some truthful information in kind of a readable, fictional way, which unfortunately, as you probably have figured out, Tim, and a lot of your audiences, uh, you're getting more truth off of movies and some books and things that appear to be fictional or semi-fictional uh, than you are off your news media. You know, as far as mainstream entertainment and, you know, mainstream media goes, that might be the closest place you get any uh, esoteric information is through these fictional outlets. Right. And, of course, music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always music. Yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. Now, the question I had, and, and let's, of course, plug the website here for the book, sisterhoodoftherose.org, so people can go there and check it out and order it. And I'm looking forward to reading it myself. Um what made you decide, I guess, to do fiction, sort of what we're just talking about here, that that might be the best way to get the information out? Yeah. There, this was, number one, a good story. Number two, it was not always provable, uh, but it, uh, there's a lot of well-documented uh, incidental details in it, and it was just a good story, and I thought uh, I thought it ought to be out there, and people can read it for themselves and read uh, the Celeste Levesque's uh, commentary on how she recalls this as a past life and then they can just kind of make up their minds for themselves. You know, you can either read it as a great fictional story or you can read it as uh, something that may have actually uh, happened in the, in, the, in the main and yet has, uh, of course, not been talked about. But then that's where I go anyway. Uh, uh, since you read my book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, you understand that there's a whole lot more going on to World War II than just us fighting the military Germans and Japs. Yeah, outstanding book. Folks should have already owned all your books and have them in the library. And I, it's perfect that we're doing this interview this time of year because every year I try to give out Rule by Secrecy to two or three people that I know. And uh, I recommend that to a lot of folks. You know, if you want to get your friends interested in the esoteric, Rule by Secrecy is a good way to sort of uh, extend the olive branch to them to have them do their own research and check it out. Exactly. And nope. esoteric doesn't necessarily mean good or bad. It just kind of means things most people don't know about. Yeah, we use esoteric here on the show to try to avoid the uh, loaded phrase paranormal because it seems <laughs> like that's been completely co-opted and commercialized. So we'll, we'll take esoteric right. for ourselves. Or even worse, the occult, okay? <laughs> which, which sounds worse. And yet occult, again, actually uh, uh, comes from the Latin. It only means hidden. 
things that are hidden from most people, but it's got a kind of taken on a negative connotation. Oh, absolutely. You tell somebody you're into the occult, they think you're going to be dressing in all black and, and you know, drinking blood or something. So <laughs> Yeah, sacrificing babies to Satan or something. Yeah. <laughs> now, one thing, uh, we're going to be kind of bouncing around talking about a whole bunch of different stuff this year with our interview, and, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about first was something that you and I had talked about when we were setting up the interview, and it just completely blew my mind. You dropped some amazing knowledge on me, and I wanted to make sure we shared it with the uh, listeners of the program. And what we got into was this whole thing with time and the Kennedy deaths, but I wanted to talk to you first. What stemmed my original uh, inquiry to you when we were talking was just the passing of Ted Kennedy this summer, and I always kind of found it interesting that obviously he had his own battles and, and demons and, and failings and what have you, but he did sort of survive the Kennedy curse in a way that afflicted all of them in the 60s and stuff. And uh, I always found it kind of interesting that he never really, as far as I knew, weighed in on his two brothers' deaths. Uh, you wonder if it was the sort of thing where he understood that if he kept his mouth shut, he'd be remembered as he was this year when he died as, you know, one of the great statesmen of America instead of someone who would probably have gone down to scandal or mysterious death if he stuck his nose too far into it. But, I mean, what's your take on Ted Kennedy and sort of how he uh, made it out of that whole mess? Well, you know, I, I think uh, Ted Kennedy was not a stupid person. And uh, I think he realized that uh, there were forces out there that if he tried to uh, press along in the footsteps of his brothers, uh, that, you know, other bad things would happen to him. Um, and, of course, it already had. In fact, he almost got killed in the summer of uh, 1964 in a plane crash. Uh, so there's just a lot there that uh, that he probably was aware of and was probably smart enough not to uh, get into publicly. He almost wished that he had towards the end, at least, so we'd have some kind of insight into what his take on all that was. Because, uh, well, like I said, we never really heard his take on all that. Uh, he may have, okay, because, for example, uh, Jackie Kennedy, uh, at her death, uh, it was actually uh, announced in the mainstream media that she had left behind, and it's unclear whether either some documents or a manuscript, but uh, under the orders that uh, it was not to be made public until after the death of all her children. So, see, obviously there's something going on there that they're afraid of. There's somebody that uh, that they are totally afraid of. Uh, in fact, I, uh, in my book, Rule by Secrecy, uh, I uh, quote from uh, Woodrow Wilson, who said, uh, some of the biggest men in the United States in the field of commerce and manufacture are afraid of somebody. They're afraid of something. They know there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive, they'd better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. And that was written back in 1914, and apparently that power is still with us. Yeah, it's uh, kind of scary when you think about it. Now, relate this this thing you were telling me about the Kennedy deaths and the side reel time uh, situation, because I had never heard of this before, and, and you had heard it through another researcher, and it was completely right. blew my mind when I heard it. Well, it blew my mind, too. This uh, is the work of uh, a fellow named Robert Fisher, uh, and uh, it goes uh, to the Kennedy curse, uh, which is, you know, strange enough. Uh, you've got Joseph Kennedy Jr., who was killed in an exploding plane off the coast of England in 1944. Uh, he was being groomed to be president by his father, Joseph P. Kennedy, uh, 
and then with his death, uh, Joseph P. turned to his next oldest son, John F. Kennedy, and of course uh, he was killed in Dallas in the assassination in 1963. Uh, as I mentioned, Ted Kennedy uh, almost died in a plane crash in the summer of 1964. And of course, Robert Kennedy was assassinated in 1968. And then we've got JFK Jr. who died in a plane crash uh, that has still not been uh, thoroughly <laughs> uh, investigated and, and thoroughly uh, all the facts presented to the public. So that, that's what's known as the Kennedy curse, okay? But it, it's even stranger than that. Because you would think that separated by such distances and time that none of these deaths were related. And yet, uh, what Robert Fisher found out was by looking at sidereal time, okay, and I'll have to stop and explain to you what sidereal time means. This is the, uh, you know, we judge time by Greenwich Minwich, Greenwich time, and which is based on the uh, revolvement of the Earth around the Sun, and this is why we have all these different time zones. Uh, you know, when it's uh, one o'clock on the East Coast, it's uh, noon Central Time, and it's still morning out on the West Coast, and uh, this causes problems. It certainly causes problems for me. People call me from the West Coast and say, you know, we're going to be on at six, so you know, I'm thinking six, but it's not six. It's it would be uh, for me. It would be eight o'clock. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, in the past, in fact, uh, through history, sailors, uh, astronomers, and astrologers, astrophysicists, uh, military people, NASA, they use sidereal time, which is time based on the uh, position of the stars, which uh, only changes very, very gradually. Uh, and this is known as sidereal time. Now, interestingly enough, sidereal time is also broken into 24 sidereal hours, just like the 24 hours of our day. Okay, so now once you uh, understand that, here's the mystery. Here is this awesome fact that Robert Fisher has discovered. The five Kennedy-related incidents all occurred within the 16th sidereal hour. Now, uh, to put that in another way so you understand what I'm saying, what if I told you that all five of the Kennedy family members had died between noon and 1 o'clock? Uh, over a period of, uh, well, from 1944 uh, to 1999. That's, how's, how's that possible? I mean, that's just, it's beyond the, the realm of coincidence. One or two, maybe, three, maybe, but five. So, somehow, there is a power that uh, is arranging these particular five deaths and one near death. Uh, all within the same hour. It's almost as though they're trying to send a very subtle, hidden message to somebody. And maybe Ted Kennedy got that message, and maybe that's why he never spoke out publicly uh, about the deaths of his brothers. But isn't that a mind-blower? Yeah, that's just amazing. It makes you really think, like, there's only a handful of, uh, you know, sources behind that kind of uh, power. You know, like uh, we were saying when we were talking before, you know, God or 
or some sinister, nefarious group or something. Somebody with a time machine? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. By the way, by, by the way Robert Fisher's uh, research has been confirmed by Father Chris Corbelly, who is the vice director of the Vatican Observatory in Tucson, Arizona. And he wrote that uh, attached is an output of ash times, which is the astrological qualities of universal time, basically talking about uh, severe time. Uh, the uh, for the five Kennedy incidents, and uh, yes, the incidents all fall within the hour of the local sidereal time. So this has been confirmed by the Vatican Lab, uh, Observatory. So it, it, it's just an amazing thing. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's uh, it's right up there at the top of my huh file. Okay. <laughs> So, but I thought I would pass that along and let people start thinking about that, uh, because of course, you know, I've been uh, vilified for years as being a conspiracy theorist and always all a conspiracy. Well, folks, this is a conspiracy. Somewhere, somebody, something, uh, it was able to bring about the death and one near death of five Kennedy family members all within the same hour. Yeah, exactly. It really gives you pause to think in general. It just really right. is a mind boggler. And then uh, as an addendum to that, which may or may not uh, be connected, uh, Richard Hoagland and others, uh, Hoagland was a former NASA official, they have confirmed that all of the major NASA space uh, shots, the time and date of their launches has all been based not on some scientific criteria, but on the astrological alignments of the planets. Okay, now what does that mean? That means that somebody in a position powerful enough to set the time and dates of uh, major NASA space shots believes <laughs> in the alignment of the planets. Uh, the astrological alignment. Now, whether you or I believe in that, that's irrelevant. You know, it's you know, you can believe in that or not. The fact is, somebody that's powerful enough to set NASA missions does believe in it. Exactly. Yeah, it makes you wonder if that whole realm of uh, you know study and, and belief has been so ridiculed and downplayed all these years because there is some kind of power to it, and they don't want anyone really to uh, embrace it. The bottom line is that there is uh, something, some power that we need to start trying to identify, some power that has the power to rule the increasingly uh, fewer numbers of multinational corporations to set NASA spaceness and times and dates due to astrological alignments to assassinate national leaders with an eye towards astrological alignments, manipulate whole economies and control the corporate mass media. Sounds uh -huh. like a conspiracy theory to me. <laughs> Everybody should remember my motto, okay? If you can prove it, it's not a theory. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I sort of put the feelers out to the people on my forum and, and to submit some questions if they had any. And since this one's right in the realm of what we're talking about, I'll, I'll throw it out at you here first. And this one's from uh, Red Sun Superman. That's his forum name um, and he just wants to know he sort of wants to play a little bit of the what if game with you and that's just you know how do you think the JFK presidency would have played out if he had survived the assassination uh, you know with minor wounds and Oswald had been arrested but not killed <laughs> well <laughs> I don't think we'd be 
in the same situation that we are today. I think everything would be completely different because one of the things I'm absolutely certain of is that uh, if Kennedy had lived, he was taking uh, steps to disengage us from Vietnam. So there would have been no Vietnam War, at least not the, the way that we knew it. Um, I, I do not believe that uh, John F. Kennedy would ever have uh, introduced ground combat troops to Vietnam. And of course, that only happened after the phony Gulf of Tonkin uh, incident in August of 64, uh, just prior to the release of the Warren Commission report, uh, which then Johnson used to push us in full-blown into the Vietnam War. No Vietnam War. Another thing would have happened is, according to a Kennedy family member, was that if he had lived and his brother, Attorney General Robert Kennedy, had continued his prosecution of organized crime, they would have, quote, broken the back of organized crime in this country. So think about a uh, an America here in 2009 with no organized crime. Whoa. That would be something, wouldn't it? Um, and so, yes, I think that, uh, in fact, um, uh, students of history uh, on, from all sides of the political stre- uh, spectrum, whether uh, from the conservative end or the liberal end, but they're all pretty much agree that this country lost its way with the coup d'etat of uh, November 1963. Yeah. And, that, and that's why I think it is so important that we get to the bottom of it. Okay, and I will I will make this statement just just flat statement right here. Mm-hmm. The guilty parties in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy are Lyndon Baines Johnson and J. Edgar Hoover. Now, can I prove that they ordered it or orchestrated his death? No, but I can prove that both of those men took actions that hid and suppressed the truth of the Kennedy assassination, which under our legal system makes them accessories after the fact. And in our system of justice, uh, if you're an accessory after the fact, you are considered as guilty as the person who pulled the trigger. Okay, that's so kind of guilty. a, yeah, that's, wow, all right. I was going to ask you uh, what your take on LBJ was, uh, but you kind of laid it out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> pretty well, pretty well stated it, didn't it? Now, let me quickly add, did Johnson, who was very, very powerful uh, and apparently murderous, uh, the old uh, fertilizer king, Billy Saul Estes, uh, told a Dallas grand jury back in the 90s that it was uh, Johnson who ordered the death of Henry Marshall, an agriculture official who was looking into his some of his uh, illegal activities and was found uh, shot to death on his ranch. Uh, he'd been shot uh, six times in the chest, and near his body was a uh, single-shot twenty-two rifle, and they ruled it a suicide. Uh, so in the 90s, thanks to the testimony of Billy Saul Estes, who said he was at the meeting when Johnson said get rid of him, uh, Johnson ordered that hit, and uh, the Dallas grand jury changed the ruling of Henry Marshall's death from suicide to homicide. Oh, wow. So, so there is cause to believe this. But w- was he powerful enough to, to order the killing of the President of the United States and get away with it. And I would submit no. Okay? You have to look at the forces way above, uh, Lyndon Johnson. And who would that be? Well, during his presidency, 
he had 16 advisors uh, known as his wise men. Uh, Dean Rusk and, uh, I don't know, uh, the Bundy brothers, uh, McNamara, all of these guys. Mm -hmm. And what was their common thread? They were all members of the Council on Foreign Relations, that uh, secretive organization created in the wake of World War One for the express purpose of bringing the United States population into a world government. One of their front men, uh, President Woodrow Wilson, had tried to establish the League of Nations, which was an early attempt at a United Nations. But it failed because the Senate of the United States said we did not want to give up our national sovereignty. So the international financiers and industrialists that were the core membership of the Council on Foreign Relations and its sister organization, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, created these organizations for the express purpose of trying to bring the United States into a one-world socialist government. And they are still pushing that agenda today. In fact, a year ago in November, what we saw in this country was a subtle shift, well, a not-so-subtle shift, uh, from national socialism, which is uh, what the Bush administration was all about. They they call themselves neocons, uh, neoconservatives, but actually they were national socialists. And, of course, in the German language, the acronym of National Socialism is Nazi. Mm -hmm. So uh, last a year ago, they these uh, world manipulators, these global fascists, shifted us from National Socialism to Obama's Marxist Socialism. But it's still Socialism. <laughs> and we're still seeing that push going on today. Now the big argument is over health care. Where in the Constitution... In fact, where anywhere is it etched in stone saying the government is supposed to be in charge of your health care? Uh, you know, it's incredible. But we, the American public, has been so deceived, so lied to, so dumbed down, so drugged out, that uh, uh, only a handful are capable of actually seeing what's going on. And why is that? Uh, because I'm sure... Tim, you and probably most of your listeners have are familiar with the uh, movie trilogy, The Matrix, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And of course, in that movie, you had the population was all wired, hardwired into giant computers that was uh, creating an artificial reality all around them. Okay, well, we are in a matrix today. No, we are not physically hooked into computers, although a lot of us are. <laughs> I'll have a symbiotic relationship sitting there, you know, most of the hours of the day in front of a computer. Yeah. But we are all locked into an electromagnetic matrix that's woven about us by the five multinational corporations that control everything we see and hear. Um, and I'm not just talking about news. I'm talking about entertainment, cable, networks, satellite billboards, magazines, newspapers, music, CDs, you know, computers, computer games, books, publishing, book clubs, five corporations control everything we see and hear. And as a result, we are all living in a matrix that they create. They can't always tell us how to think, but they certainly set the agenda. They certainly tell us what to think about. Absolutely. And yeah, and that's where we are. And if you want to be a truly free person, you've got to break out of that. 
how do you do that? Pretty easy because uh, it, it may not be so in the far future, but right now there's still an off switch on your radio and TV. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, thankfully, you know, there's programs like ours and, and people like you who are doing work to try and enlighten as many people as possible. Now, to move away, I guess, a little bit from what we're talking about right now and get into another whole area of research that you've done, and that's into the UFO phenomenon. And I kind of want to segue it a little bit from what you said about the Kennedy assassination in that you said, you know, uh, historians across the board agree that, uh, you know, America lost its way after Kennedy was killed. In some ways, I kind of feel like ufology lost its way, you know, in the early 70s, it seems, uh, when NICAP folded and Blue Book folded and the Condon Report really kind of put a blow to everybody and James E. McDonald died. It seemed like a, a series of events in the early 70s kind of uh, knocked the wind out of ufology, and then it subsequently quickly got splintered off into a number of different subgroups like abductions, crop circles, cattle mutilations, and all the peripheral things sort of surged into that vacuum. And I feel like ufology's never really quite recovered. And I kind of wanted your take, because I know that you have studied the UFO phenomenon and the history of UFO studies. Uh, what, what's your take on, you know, what's what's become of ufology in the last 40 years or so? Well, I think you, uh, you just gave a pretty good uh, and accurate thumbnail sketch of what's happened. And I think you're right, up until the early 70s, until about the time of the closure of Blue Book, uh, there were very credible, prominent people who were uh, in, in these various organizations, NICAP and things like that, and they were uh, very vocal and very credible in making uh, some headway in trying to bring the UFO issue to the general public. Um, of course, the oldest tactic in the world is divide and conquer, and that, of course, is what they've done with the UFO research community, and unfortunately, you're right, today there are those and and it spreads all across our society. Uh, with my book, Crossfire, uh, which was the basis for the Oliver Stone movie, JFK, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was invited to all of these JFK assassination conferences, you know, and oh, you know, boy, I was the hot stuff. And then, <laughs> and then I wrote about UFOs, and all of a sudden, I wasn't invited anymore. And I've actually seen email from people who are asking some of these sponsors, well, you know, why don't you ask Jim Mars? And they say, well, oh, well, you know, he writes about UFOs. Uh, you know, number one is if writing about UFOs it somehow negates any knowledge of anything else, which of course is wrong. And then, of course, just uh, totally puts out the uh, inference that anybody that uh, even think seriously about UFOs must be a little cracked and that there's really nothing to it. Um, and of course that's not true either. In fact, I'll, I'll make this statement right now. Anybody that's listening to my voice, if you dismiss the idea of UFOs out of hand, okay, you will never understand clearly what's really happening in this world because you've just thrown out a big piece of the puzzle. Okay. And by the way, this also gives me the opportunity to uh, say that there are now, uh, coming from a number of different sources, uh, the idea that we are very close to having some sort of official disclosure. Okay, now what that'll be, I'm not sure, and uh, how far it'll reach, I'm not sure either, but I think the only thing holding it back right now is the simple fact that I don't think they can, they haven't been able to figure out a way to gently and subtly 
release credible information or make an official announcement about UFOs that would not crack the whole issue wide open. Because, I mean, just think about it. What if President Obama was to uh, make a speech and say, well, we have uh, evidence for some time now that this planet has been visited by people from other worlds. Uh, we don't have any reason to believe that they're overtly hostile. Uh, we're on top of the situation, and uh, we'll keep you informed as we uh, learn more. You know, just think about it. You know, is everybody going, oh, okay. No, man. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's just going to go nuts. All the people who steadfastly kept their head buried in the sand and said there's no such thing, all of a sudden the sands <laughs> disappeared out from under their feet. They're just left dangling. Religions will be groping to find to figure out how they incorporate that into the theologies. Uh, the stock market will just, you know, go wild. And, uh, you know, and they, I don't know. <laughs> the only thing I'm sure of is this, Tim. Those of us like myself, who for 20, 30 years have been trying to say, hey, there is a reality to the UFO situation. We need to pay serious attention to it. We need to deal with it. Nobody's going to come back and say, gee, you were right. <laughs> that ain't going to happen because that's not human behavior. In fact, the very people that are on TV right now making fun, uh, you know, the talk, talking heads who make fun of people and vilify people who are talking about UFOs, they'll turn around and say, oh, yes, well, the government said this, and let's look at this, and then all of a sudden they're on the bandwagon. It's like, yeah, well, we knew this all along. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. the way it's going to happen, right? Exactly, yeah. And uh, that actually raises sort of an interesting uh, point that I've been kind of thinking of lately, and I, I put it forward on a recent appearance uh, when I was on a show, was just that I, I sometimes wonder if the government is either waiting for a new event sort of to take place, let's say for lack of a better term, a new Roswell, or if they would just create their own UFO event in order to sort of start fresh and, and you know, uh, find a loophole out of the cover-up that they're sort of buried under? Well, you know, Tim, that that is a very serious question, and it brings up a very serious uh, topic. I know for a fact that within government files, there are plans to simulate a threat from space, okay? In fact, uh, uh, according to... Werner von Braun, the father of our space program, the old Nazi rocket scientist, he uh, said back in the 70s that the current enemy, the enemy du jour, was communism, okay? And when that no longer worked, it would be international terrorists, probably centered in the Middle East. Well, and that's where we are right today. And he said when that didn't work, and that's beginning to slide now, that the next would be a threat from space. And, of course, this was echoed by President Ronald Reagan, who before the United Nations said, you know, maybe the nations could all band together if there was a threat from space. So, he, you know, this topic has already been broached. And I think that we have to be very cautious that the people, these global socialist fascists who are trying to push us into a one-world government, which in and of itself is not that bad a concept, it's just that they want it under their very tight control, uh, They that they would use cutting-edge technology, largely unknown to the public, to push the idea that, oops, there really are uh, aliens, they're here, 
oh, and and they want to eat you, and you have to give me the last of your liberty so I can protect you. And unfortunately, there are too many people who would be stampeded into going for that. Oh, yeah, the vast majority. Now, is that a rooster right here in the background? Yes, it is. Interesting. My, my little rooster is doing his job. <laughs> well, it's good to see somebody has a job nowadays. So. <laughs> That's right. I don't know why he's so active in the afternoon. Usually it's early morning, but uh, well, we can, we can forgive him. Don't worry about it. As long as you know we acknowledged it, so I didn't get emails from people <laughs> wondering what the hell is going on in the background there, or asking if I had gotten a rooster. That we'll, we'll straighten that out. Um, let me uh, take off another question here from the people on the forum, and this is from Richard in Wales, uh, Wales in the UK, big time writer for our website, definitely somebody I hope that uh, you can connect with in the future. He wants to know, uh, with regards to Iraq, if you think there's any alien technology or records of ancient astronauts uh, over there in Iraq. Uh, yes, I think that's a very real possibility, and I'll tell you why. That goes back to our precipitous and unprovoked invasion of Iraq. Uh, I have in my files news stories, mainstream news stories from 1999, 2000, 2001, that German and French archaeological teams were making amazing new discoveries in the ancient Sumerian cities of uh, Uruk and Ur. And, uh, of course, where would they take all these amazing new discoveries but to the Iraqi National Museum in Baghdad? Now, let's go to our invasion. Uh, contrary to standard military tactics, which is to set an objective and seize your objective and then consolidate your holdings and then move on to your next objective, we made a precipitous dash to Baghdad and uh, leaving the countryside wide open, which is still causing us such problems, and uh, also failing to disarm the Iraqi military. And what happened in Baghdad? The looting of the Iraqi National Museum. Now, Colonel Matthew Bogdanos, who uh, investigated the museum looting for General Tommy Franks, who wrote an article in Archaeological Magazine, and he said that uh, basically it seems that there was a hired crowd that of looters that, you know, milled around and they broke in and they got a few things. He said, but the basement was an inside job. He said they knew where they were going. They bypassed expensive-looking fakes. They had keys to some of the vaults and lockers. That some of the guards were suspiciously missing. This was an operation, and uh, the basement is where the the uh, the real looting took place. And although a lot of the uh, items that were taken from the museum from the upper floors have been returned, the basement is still missing, and of course that's it's where the amazing new discoveries would be. And I truly think that that may have been a prime reason for our, our invasion of Iraq. Interesting, interesting. Um, and now this is sort of another far-reaching question, sort of in the vein of the ufology question I had for you earlier. It's really more speculation, I guess, on your part. It's just sort of like, you know, I've been doing the show now. We're starting our fifth year, and I, I picked up Rule by Secrecy, obviously, seven years ago, as I said. And um, it just struck me, sort of, it strikes me that, you know, I remember hearing about all these sort of mysteries, like in the 1980s, and I've been in the field now for about five or six years, and it seems like across the board, whether it's UFOs, Bigfoot, the JFK assassination, ghosts, anything, 
Um, we haven't come up with any single answer to any mystery. Right? We're, you know, we're batting zero here as far as the, you know the esoteric community goes, and it's not for lack of hard work, and it's not for lack of you know diligent quality research. So I guess you know on a speculative and you know why do you think it is that that none <laughs> of these mysteries have been answered, with the exception you know of maybe the deep throat mystery, and that was completely out of left field and had nothing to do with you know investigations by uh, parapolitical folks or anything like that. Right, and I'm not even sure that one has been cleared up completely and truthfully. Yeah. Um, well, that's a very good question, and I would I would take issue with you mm -hmm. that we would have not made any progress whatsoever. I, I think actually we have. Uh, for example, in the UFO uh, issue, uh, there is a growing number of people uh, that, in fact, our whole perception has turned around precipitously. Uh, in the 1950s, a national poll showed that 85, 95% of the population disbelieved that there was any life outside the Earth. Today, the polls show almost the exact opposite. Uh, 85 to 95 now say, yeah, I think there could be life out there. That's quite a turnaround in oh, public yeah. Yeah. perception. And I think we do, and I think there's a growing number of people who now realize the UFO issue is real. There is something there. We do need to, 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 to deal with it. Uh, of course, we don't have a final answer. Uh, then we get things like uh, ghosts, and you get things like uh, Bigfoot. Uh, again, there's a growing number of people who uh, are now realizing that they, there may be a real issue there, that it's not just people making stuff up, and it's not people having hallucinations. But again, we don't have a definitive answer. But I think the answers will be coming in the future uh, thanks to quantum physics quantum mechanics because what we are now finding out is that the entire universe is a huge energy field okay mm -hmm. and when you think of us as individual human beings we are basically energy beings okay because medical science could recreate your physical body I mean you know we're, we uh, we uh, have uh, artificial hearts, we make artificial legs, artificial arms, uh, they could build your body. The thing is, they cannot energize it with the self-aware sentient energy that makes up uh, the, the individual personality of Tim Banal, okay? And uh, so we, at essence, are energy beings. Now, once you understand that we are all energy, and that the whole universe is energy. The problem is we only perceive the one little point where our perception uh, is. Maybe it's a bad analogy, but you know we're the phonograph needle, <laughs> and 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 the point in the one little groove. That's all that uh, we know. And yet there are millions of grooves uh, in this whole energy universe. Uh, does that make any sense to you? That makes perfect sense. It's like the old analogy about the radio station, how, you know, the radio picks up one station at a time, but there's thousands of stations out there at once. Exactly. Everybody's listening to my voice, wherever you are. You might be on the back porch or in your office or in your bedroom. Uh, you know, if I was to tell you there's a mariachi band playing there, uh, you, you'd say, oh, boy, he's really gone nuts. And yet, all you got to do is turn on radio, keep turning that dial, and I'll bet you're going to find some mariachi music. It's right there in the room. <laughs> with you right now. It's just that you can't perceive it. 
So I think when we start talking about ghosts and paranormal things and, and Bigfoot and, and the Chupacabra, you know, I think maybe we're dealing with uh, things that are phase in and out of our particular dimension here. And that's why we haven't been able to just grab one and say, oh, well, here it is. You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I've been thinking lately, too. If we can get one, then the domino effect might take place, too, where we right. start to figure more of them out. And, uh, just to- and then now you got now the problem is compounded, particularly in the UFO field, because according to all the research, uh, if a UFO does crash, and if we could recover a physical machine and say, here it is, or even a living being and say, here's an alien, you know, the government, the military is going to swoop in, get it, hustle it off, pack it away at Area 51 or somewhere, and then deny that it's there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so what are you going to do? Exactly. And then and all you're left with is a handful of people that said, well, I was here and I saw that thing, and, and the military came and got it, and then everybody goes, yeah, all right, well, you're just making that up. You're just trying to sell a book. You're just trying to get a movie deal. You know, mm-hmm. it's always some excuse for why uh, there's nothing going on. But when you look at the totality of the evidence, uh, it's overwhelming. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, just to put you over huge here, you know, uh, like I said, you sort of lit the fuse on my whole interest in the esoteric and um, sort of what you were saying earlier about how you used to be booked at all these JFK conventions and then you did the UFO book and then your convention appearances sort of dried up. Um, You know, you taught me a valuable lesson from the get-go, Jim, because once I finished Rule by Secrecy, I went out and got Alien Agenda, and you, you taught me the lesson that it's okay to look at all these different subjects, and the more you, you have to look at them all, so that way you get a better understanding of the whole mystery that we're dealing with, because chances are right. most of this is really interconnected, and right. you know people shouldn't be so afraid to uh, look at all the different subjects, and they shouldn't be so you know, uh, with the blinders on, steadfastly you know, focused on one particular genre of the esoteric. Right. In fact, that's uh, that's another reason why that we don't have a better understanding of these things is because they've all been kept so compartmentalized. Okay, you might be researching. I know people who research are very very conversant with the UFO issue, but they don't know anything about the Kennedy assassination, and they don't know about the secret societies. I know about people who dig into the secret societies, but they scoff when you want to bring up UFOs. Uh, you know, and even within the UFO community, uh, and I think you've already mentioned this, there's a divide and conquer tactic going on between people who say, well, crop circles are real, but I don't think these abductions are are real. And they keep everybody fighting with each other, so we do not get that overview that's necessary to see that in some way or another, it's all interconnected. Thankfully, it does seem like things are changing for the better in the last few years with that regard. Yeah, we're wising up. (laughs) Exactly. And and, uh, to sort of buffer what you had said earlier about how there is progress being made on these mysteries. I mean, uh, like, don't get me wrong. That wasn't, you know, besmirching, I guess you could say, the work that everybody's done because in – when you look no, at you're, no, hey Tim, you're you're like me, you're like the rest of us. You're just impatient. You, know, <laughs> you, you want to you know, well, what is it? You know, who are they? What are they here for? What do they want? Right? <laughs> no, 
Okay, and and I understand that, and I think most people that way. You know, most people don't want to have to hurt their brain by reading through reams of material and watching DVDs and and actually thinking about all this. They want somebody to tell them, you know, well, here's what it is. And unfortunately, we're just in a lot of these issues. We're just uh, not really at a point to where we can say unequivocally, well, this is what it is. Right, right, right. And if you look at you know, if you look at the totality of the history of the UFO phenomenon, um, we've made tremendous progress because if you're thinking about those paintings with the UFOs in the background from Renaissance times to the airship mystery, and then you look at where we're at today, I mean, we're closer than we've ever been to getting the answer. Right. Um, so, in I mean, fact, you know. Yeah, I would even say that we are undergoing a conditioning process. Okay, because you go back to the late 40s and through the 50s and at certain high levels of uh, people who want to control things, it was a decision was made that we can't explain this, we can't stop UFOs, and if we admit they're there and we admit we can't stop them and we're not sure who they are, then it may raise fundamental questions about then why do we need an Air Force? Why do we even need a government, you know, if they can't protect us? So the decision was made to put the lid on it, to say, Nothing there, folks. Just nothing there, you know. Uh, and and who are you going to believe? Uh, you know, your own lying eyes or your government? And so, you know, and it worked very well. And and it can, as you pointed out, I think that came to a climax in the seventies and and eighties when everybody just went, oh well, I guess there's nothing there because the authorities say there's nothing there. And it was only a handful of people who kept the torch burning. But of course, all that's changing now. But now they have a different problem because now they want us to know or, or at least believe that there are uh, folks out there other than uh, us humans uh, because, uh, number one, they realize that at any given day, uh, the visitors could just, you know, hang a ship over some major city uh, for even a half hour or so, just long enough for news crews to get there and get good, solid video, uh, and the game's up. Mm-hmm. So they and, and like I said, according to my sources, they really would like to go ahead and start making the public uh, aware of this, but they do not want to cause turmoil. So they're trying to figure out how they're going to do that. So it's a push-pull situation. First off, it could all blow up at any time if there's another Phoenix flyover, except this time in the daytime where everybody gets pictures and films and videos. Yeah. Uh, they got to, they've got to be prepared for that. And then, of course, if they decide they want to pull the threat from space thing to get everybody under control, uh, how are they going to convince everybody there's a threat from space when everybody's been convinced there's no threat from space and there's nothing there? So they have to get, so, and how they, how's this conditioning program happening? Because of the occasional TV network show, uh, the, uh, talk shows, talk shows, I mean, they let you, you know, they let you go on with your program. Plus, look look around you. Look at the movies. Look at the Race to Witch Mountain and Star Trek and Star Wars. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, everyone under 50, I think, if you say, uh, what about aliens? They just kind of go, yeah, okay, aliens. Yeah, sure. What, whatever. <laughs> I mean, they're just kind of there. It's only these people who for generations were conditioned that nobody 
nobody there that they've got to try to turn around or outweigh them. Totally. And, yeah, we've kind of talked about this before in the past, how it's a generational thing, right. it seems. And we got to spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the Internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? Just to sort of uh, dip our toe a little bit into the 9-11 thing, it seems like the 9-11 truth movement's really gone off the rails in the last couple of years and sort of fallen to the back burner and has lost a lot of momentum. That's just my perspective on it. And I'm afraid that it that it's on the on the course towards becoming, you know, this generation's JFK assassination, where in 30 or 40 years, the majority of Americans will believe that it was an inside job, but nobody will do anything about it, which is what seems to be right. the case with the JFK assassination. That's the methodology. You know, you, you can't cover something of that magnitude up completely. But if you can confuse it and uh, block it, block meaningful investigations or particularly any kind of real political action from the top uh, by denial, denial, and official pronouncement, and just, you just keep controversy going long enough, then people lose interest, okay? Now, on the one hand, I agree with you, Tim, that the, uh, say, mid-2000s uh, groups and organizations that were very dedicated, very hardworking, and pushing strenuously for uh, the truth about 9-11, they, you know, they have now been splintered and, again, divide and conquer. They're into various camps, you know, fighting over, uh, you know, was there nukes, was there, you know, was there thermite, was there this, was there that. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the, I would say, though, I I think in general, I think the uh, overall population, I think the awareness that uh, something other than what we've been told happened on 9-11 has slowly been working its way through our society. Uh, the problem is people today, they're, they're more concerned with their 401k and their bank account uh, and their job uh, and their house uh, than they are with trying to figure out what happened on 9-11. But uh, let me say this, and, and I'm sure you're aware of this and probably most of your listeners, but in case you're not, one of the things I've always been asked, and they always counter every time you try to raise questions about 9-11 and the official uh, bogus story, is that where is the proof? Where is the proof? Well, here is the proof of 9-11 and also the proof of the total control over the news media. Earlier this year, in a European scientific journal, in a peer-reviewed paper uh, composed by about eight different scientists, they said unequivocally that they found traces of a nanotechnology thermite called thermate in several different dust samples and debris samples from the World Trade Center. Now, that is hard proof. That's scientific proof Mm -hmm. that controlled explosives uh, were used to bring down the World Trade Center towers. And I ask you, other than on the Internet and a few talk shows, where has that appeared in the media? It's not there. And yet I, I've tried to put myself in the place of an editor, say, for a major big metropolitan newspaper, and I get a story coming from Europe saying that in a peer-reviewed scientific paper they have proven that there was traces of a controlled demolition known as thermite found in the, in the World Trade Center. I, I'm sorry, folks. I would think that's news, okay? <laughs> All right, but no, you don't even get to hear about that because our media is uh, 
not a watchdog media. It's a lapdog media to the corporate ownership. Yeah, I get the sense, you know, there is sort of a feeling, too, and I think you, you sort of alluded to it a little bit with regards to 9-11, that there is sort of a mood amongst people, you know, who want to do further investigation and who want further investigation into it, um, that we're not going to let the JFK assassination happen again. We're not going to let this one slip through our fingers. And so, Don't want to wait 40 years, you know, and we've waited too long already. We've waited until the perpetrators are out of office. And, and that's another thing, too, unfortunately. So many people thought, well, if we can just get the Bush administration out of there and, and get somebody else, and, oh, wow, here's here's liberal Barack Obama. Let's put him in there, and all everything will change for the better. In fact, that's what he campaigned on, change. We're going to change everything and i ask you folks honestly what's changed nothing we're still fighting in iraq we're still fighting in afghanistan in fact barack obama was talking about increasing the troops in afghanistan so what i was saying is everybody looked for change and yet not only have we not gotten any change and in, in in many areas the uh, obama administration has only intensified and furthered the the bush administration agenda uh, and again, that's not really surprising if you will look at the Obama's cabinet, okay? Because <laughs> his cabinet reads like a roster of the Council on Foreign Relations, the same people that were running the Bush administration. And as soon as we quit getting sucked into this Democrat versus Republican, liberal versus conservative paradigm, and start addressing the true would-be rulers of this nation, they're just going to keep whipping us from pillar to post. Yep. It's uh, sort of like the old stories about the Russian premiers and how, you know, the, the, the premier would change but all the suits behind it would always stay the same. So No, no. Well, I, I think, again, I think the classic example is the presidential election of 2006. You could vote for George W. Bush, the Republican, who was a wealthy oil man, came from a wealthy oil family, and was a member of the secret Skull and Bones Society. Or you could vote for his cousin, John Kerry, who's a Democrat, but came from an all-rich family and was a member of Skull and Bones. <laughs> hey, big choice there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, now, I was looking at your Above Top Secret book and, and looking at some of the different mysteries uh, that you cover in there. One just jumped out at me and, and slapped me across the face, and I had to ask you about it here because I'd never heard of this before. And I was stunned to uh, see the, this in the table of contents and wanted you to really elucidate this for me. Are there hidden codes in road signs? <laughs> what is this well, all about? Well, that is that, that was kind of a new wrinkle for me. I had to stop and kind of research that one up a little bit. But uh, these have come to be known as tack marks, okay, or that's military for tactical markings. And uh, they're not on all road signs, but on uh, certain road signs, and apparently they've been spotted uh, throughout the United States. I even stopped and checked a few in Texas, and it's interesting because, you know, you see a road sign, you know, and it says stop or yield or watch for deer or whatever, uh, and you don't really even think anything about it. But if you'll stop, get out and go around and look on the other side, uh, there's little stickers and stuff on there, okay? And some of them have computer code on it. I'm not sure what that is. Others that I saw had uh, what appeared to be the manufacturer's name and the date that they made the sign. Okay, I can understand that. For one 
thing, kids are always swiping highway signs, so maybe that's a way of trying to recover them or find out, uh, you know, exactly what's missing and uh, et cetera. But then there's other things where there's little rectangular circles or uh, little signs on there that don't, you know, what's that all about? Doesn't say anything. It's uh, uh, and so the the theory is is that these are military tack marks, tactical markings, and they. Uh, point the way to local landmarks, airfields, emergency centers, hospitals, things like that. Well, now, of course, then that raised the question, well, then why do they need these tactical markings? Because I know when I was in the Army, we used a map, okay? <laughs> All right? But uh, apparently the theory is that uh, just like all of a sudden you remember when, I don't know if you remember, but when I was a kid and you wanted to use a public restroom, you look for a sign that said men or women or toilet or whatever, okay? Today, you've got a little uh, a little icon. you got the little outline of the woman. you got the outline of the man, okay? And this is for people that don't speak English. So the only possible reason that some that conspiracy uh, researchers see for these tactical markings are as guideposts for non-English speaking troops. Wow. Which gets into the whole thing about the FEMA camps and Rex 84 and the various plans that are already laying in government drawers for martial law or for a United Nations peacekeeping force to take over the United States um, as a possible scenario. Uh, what if the government suddenly, I mean, uh, uh, last weekend, I believe it was, uh, President Obama declared a national emergency because of swine flu, okay? Mm-hmm. So we are now operating under national emergency, which is ought to be pretty spooky to any thinking person because that's exactly what happened after 9-11. A day or so after 9-11, George W. Bush declared a national emergency, and from that point on, we were operating under a national emergency, which he, as commander-in-chief, that's what gave him the right to say, I'm the decider. You know, I decide what's going to happen because we're in a national emergency. Well, we're in a national emergency right now. And uh, what if... Uh, under this national emergency, it was declared that it was mandatory under penalty of fine and arrest and incarceration for you to take a swine flu shot. And what happens if people said, I don't want it, you know? Yeah. You know, the, uh, there's too many problems with it. Uh, and there's too many adjutants in it. There's too many, uh, problems in the swine flu, uh, epidemic, uh, the non-epidemic of 1976. The only people that died and, and got permanently disabled were people who took the vaccine. Uh, so, and they said, we're not going to do this. Okay. Well, now that makes them, Outlaws make some terrorists, all right. And what if uh, then they said start rounding them up? Well, what are the local police? Is your local police going to come kick in your door and drag you away so that you get have a government shot? Eh, some of them will, maybe even most of them, but a lot of them would not. So it is a possibility then that they would call on United Nations peacekeeping force to come in to to calm the chaos and to take over as a is uh, under martial law, and they would need to know how to get around. So maybe this is the reason for the tag marks. 
Interesting. Yeah, this is some mind-blowing stuff. I'm glad you looked into that because, uh, like I said, I'd never even heard of this conspiracy before. So, Well, I, you know, it's apparently the, these markings are there, and as far as I know, nobody has come up with a credible explanation of what they're all about other than the scenario I just outlined to you. Yeah, yeah. Now, another uh, mystery that you looked at in the ATS book that I found kind of interesting that you would even look at it, I guess, to say – is this John Teeter thing, because I'm hugely skeptical of it. I think it's kind of a Internet creation, but I know that right. – I'm sure that you've looked into it more than I have because I sort of dismissed it after the first you know, uh, go-around for me. So uh, have you looked into it enough to say that there's anything to it, or do you think it's really kind of like what I said, sort of an Internet um, meme? Well, you know what, Tim? Yeah, I did look into it, and frankly, I'm kind of – where you are. I, I'm highly skeptical of this whole thing, uh, except that the way these things are written, whoever wrote those things, okay, and early on they were posted anonymously, and it was only after, I think, uh, some website demanded that there be some name attached to it that uh, they came up with John Titor, and then at some point somebody asked him, is John Titor your real name? And I th as I recall, I think the response was, uh, John Titor is a real name, you know, which is kind of a non-answer, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh but all that aside, you know, so, I mean, the provenance uh, of the John Titor postings uh, obviously are totally in the air. I mean, yes, we don't know where that came from. So I quit worrying about that, quit worrying about the source, and just paid attention to the messages. And it was pretty provocative. Uh, he claims he's uh, uh, from the future. I'm trying to think, 2036 or something like that. Uh, he lived in Florida, which is interesting because, you know, I mean, at least Florida is still going to be here. Uh, but he says in 2015 we're going to have a nuclear war, and it really kind of changes everything. And uh, it's also interesting that uh, the reason he said he was sent back in time was because uh, they needed some old computer codes that had been lost in the war and in the aftermath uh, so that they could make some of their computer uh, things work. And I'm not, I'm not, I, I am a total computer idiot. I, you know, I can just barely make them work, much less understand. But uh, I have checked with some computer people and they said that that has, uh, you know, it's got a ring to it that it could be true. Uh, I mean, think about it right now. You probably got some computer programs that you'd kind of like to use, but you can't use them because they're too old. They don't work in your computer anymore. <laughs> uh, and so then uh, he's going on. The other thing that caught my attention was uh, the fact that he said that then there was some sort of a civil war uh, in the United States. And interestingly enough, this was not the North versus the South, and this was not the blacks versus the whites or any racial thing. Uh, it was rural versus the, the urban people, you know? And if you stop and think about it, that's kind of what's beginning to shape up right now because the people in the city who are totally dependent on government for water, <laughs> for food, for, you know, food has to be transported into the city, uh, and they are predominantly anti-gun, you know, because if you live in the city, the only reason you think of to have a gun is to, you know, to go out and shoot somebody, and they're all fearful of crime, and so they're anti-gun, yada, yada, and so if this 
martial law comes into being, or if a totalitarian government, socialist government comes into being, most of the people in the inner cities are going to be compliant. They're going to go along. They're going to line up for their shots and their chips and whatever. And it's going to be the people in the countryside out in uh, Montana and Wyoming, parts of Texas, you know, they, we're going to say, no, nah, we're going to go for that. And they're going to they're going to resist. And so I could actually see something like that happening. So, again, this doesn't tell us that whether or not John Titor actually came from the future. But I would simply end with uh, one of his last postings, which I ended up in this chapter. And it certainly gave me pause for thought. And it says, how can you possibly criticize me for any conflict that comes to you? I watch every day what you're doing as a society. While you sit by and watch your constitution being torn away from you, you willfully eat poisoned food, buy manufactured products no one needs, turn an uncaring eye away from millions of people suffering and dying all around you. Is this the universal law you subscribe to? Perhaps I should let you all in on a little secret. No one likes you in the future. This time period is looked at as being full of lazy, self-centered, civilly, ignorant sheep. Perhaps you should be less concerned about me and more concerned about that. Certainly rang a bell with me. Like the uh, sidereal time thing, it does give you pause to think. And, and that kind of segues right. uh, well into... And in fact, you know, this is, this is, you could say this about a lot of issues. Uh, most of the time, and it is true, I, and I advise people all the time, when you read something or hear something in the media or read something, check the source, okay? Check the source. But there are times when I would say, forget the source. Listen to the message. Does it ring true or not? Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of segues well into uh, sort of like a pair of questions I got here from the forum posters and, and – uh, they're from uh, Mystery Man, and let me get the other guy's name here so I don't shortchange him. James Leroy Wilson, and they're all within the same realm, and I guess it goes Mystery to... Man and a guy with a name. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yes, the Lone okay. Ranger and uh, and his sidekick or, or something like that. Um, they're both within the same realm, and it kind of speaks to an overarching feeling that I've had, and I, we've kind of talked about it before, and... And uh, I'm feeling it from a lot of the listeners, so I'll sort of just spill out these questions, but they're all sort of the same question, really. I'll just paraphrase it into they, one. There you go. Okay. Well, I guess the, the they're both sort of asking uh, within the same realm of, you know, the bad guys, if you will. They're pretty much in control of the situation right now. Do you foresee a time when this is going to get better, and is it possible at this point for – us who are hip to the situation to actually exert the pressure to change things, or are they so powerful that, you know, we'd be better off just keeping our mouth shut and sort of going along and, and you know, hoping to outlast yeah. them? Okay. First off, uh, maybe I'm the eternal optimist, but I can almost guarantee you that things will get better, okay? It's got to, because most people, most people are of good heart. Most people want to live their life, take care of their family, you know, and and do something worthwhile. And and, and so yes, unfortunately we've been tyrannized uh, in recent years by a small handful of uh, people who want to try to control everyone else uh, to include get rid of a whole lot of everyone else. 
So, yes, it's, it looks like bad straits right now, and I'm not going to say that we might not go through even more rough times, but ultimately, uh, you know, if you'll think about it, every tyranny in history has fallen, every single one without exception. So, yeah, it's going to get better. Uh, now, the question is, how quick, how fast? And that's going to be up to us, dear folks. You know, it's whether or not you're going to sit there and just listen to what's going on, or are you going to do something? Now, what are you going to do? I don't know. It's up to everybody else. I write books. Tim talks on his show. Uh, you know, maybe you write a letter to the editor. Maybe you organize a block party. Maybe you organize a, a, a book review uh, uh, meeting in your home. Uh, something. Maybe you join a demonstration. I don't know. It's going to be up to you. I can't tell you what to do. But I can also tell you this, uh, I disagree that we are under tight control right now. Some people would like to think so, and if you read the uh, mainstream corporate media, they're, they're putting out the idea that, hey, it doesn't matter what you think, you know, this is what's going to happen. But, hey, there's more of us than there are them, okay? And uh, we can change things. For one thing, just sheer knowingness change things. If everyone understood and, and would break out of the Democrat-Republican paradigm, everything would change overnight. Mm -hmm. But no, no, they watch, all they do is watch TV, so all they can think of, and they watch the talk shows, and even the ones that are pretty good, like Bill Meyer and, and some of these people, uh, nevertheless, they, get, they only hold on to their job by maintaining the uh, fiction of how our society works, and it doesn't necessarily work that way. I would also argue that I don't think they're in total control. In fact, I think they're losing control. <laughs> this is why they are getting desperate, and uh, the gloves are coming off, and it's becoming very obvious that they're trying to grab control. Uh, you know, for the last uh, 40, 50 years, it's been, you know, inch along, two steps forward, one step back, you know, slowly making their way, trying to create their one-world socialist system, but now uh, more and more people are waking up and they're getting frantic. Plus, they have become so greedy that they ballooned up their financial uh, balloon to the point where it's about to burst and it can't go up anymore and they don't know what to do about it, okay? <laughs> now, I think they're losing control and I think that's why they're in panic mode and that's why they're considering trying to make public the, the UFO situation, but they can't figure out how to do that without revealing everything and their their role in it and so, uh, you know, they're kind of caught but uh, it, it is happening more and more. We're, we're undergoing a, a great consciousness raising in this country right now. You don't hear about it because the media, the controlled corporate media will not tell you about it, but it is happening. And uh, I think that uh, if we can get past the rough spots, if we can figure out how to actually take care of things, this health care thing's going on right now. That's the big issue today. Uh, you know, what's the problem? Okay, number one, we set up a, a public system where there is a government program uh, administered by, by uh, private people who try to keep it honest, you know, and not fall under the con uh, total domination like most of those three-letter uh, agencies have. They're all under, you know, FDA, World Health Organization. They're all dominated by the pharmaceutical corporations. That's, that's provable. Um, you know, and we have to keep it in 
the public hands with an eye towards the public, there's no reason why we can't have some sort of public health care system so that people who are truly desperate, truly destitute, and cannot provide for themselves can get at least some uh, r- rudimentary medical health, and yet at the same time have a um, private healthcare system where people who can't afford to go to a doctor have the choice of going to the doctor of their choice. Uh, what we, and to get healthcare costs down, that's real simple. All we got to do is eliminate the middlemen. Uh, I, I suggested to my doctor, he's got a whole staff of people there whose whole jobs day in and day out are just handle the paperwork coming from the insurance companies and the HMOs and all like this. Why not do away with all that? Why doesn't everyone go to their doctor set up and let him set up a private fund where you pay in a nominal amount each month or whatever and then you're covered, okay? And then if you have to go and make a visit or you have to even go to the hospital, then uh, you tag that on along with the public system and, you, and you've got your health care covered. Uh, and eliminate all those middlemen that drive the cost of health care up. Uh, anyway, I, I, I don't know. I'm no expert. I don't claim to be. I just know that there are ways of reaching compromises and of reaching uh, a, a, a good health care plan that can be achieved by people of good heart and good mind who are actually looking for the best interest of the public and not looking for the profit line. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, you, you do give us reason for optimism, as you say, because it does sound like the powers that be are kind of – seems like they might be spinning wildly out of control, let's hope. Right. Um, and I have one more question here for you before we get into what's next for you, and that's just a sort of overarching question. I, I feel this trend developing. Obviously, you know what I'm talking about, 2012. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about it you know, in future season premiere interviews. But uh, lately what I've been sort of thinking is – uh, now, as the mass media picks up on 2012, it feels like those of us in the esoteric community, we may be getting snowed here. We might be getting set up for a Y2K situation where uh, right. the media amps up expectations for something big to happen, nothing big happens, and then you, me, and everybody else in the paranormal community are the laughing stock of uh, you know the media on January 1st, 2013. So, I mean, do you think that might be going on in a way? Uh, and I think it will happen nonetheless, whether they're intentionally doing it or not. That's what I feel like is going to happen to all of us on 2013. And I think that there's a lot of truth in what you just said. Uh, you know, of course, again, that's the media. They hype everything. What kills me is even though through the years when the, when the authorities and the, and the, uh, stuffy talking heads were trying to assure us that there was no such thing as UFOs. Nevertheless, the major networks would continue occasionally to come out with a program on UFOs and then just and ballyhoo the sensational aspects of it to draw an audience and then towards the end they'd have some guy in a tie saying, oh, but there's nothing there, folks. You know, it, it was just amazing. So, yeah, they're going to play off of all of that. One of the things, of course, that they key in on is everybody talks about the mind calendar, you know. Uh, and So let me say quickly this. If it was just the Mayan calendar and these ancient Mayans who we really don't even know that much about, other than they were just incredibly fascinated and interested in the stars, which kind of tells you something, um, I would just say, well, gee, those poor Indians, I don't know what they were smoking. But it's not just the Mayans. Okay, when uh, when you go back and check, you find that many cultures uh, have all pointed to 2012. 
the uh, Hopis, the Egyptians, the Kabbalists, Essenes, Quero elders of Peru, Navajos, Cherokees, Apaches, Iroquois, the Dogon tribe in Africa, and even Aborigines in Australia. And then it's not limited to these tribes and their legends. It's uh, Mother Shipton, famous prophetess, and uh, Edgar Casey and Nostradamus, and they're, and they're all points of 2012. So, as I said in my book, Above Time Secret, you know, it's kind of like the old line that says, hey, if everybody tells you you don't look good, maybe you ought to lay down. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, uh, I think, yeah, I think maybe we need to pay some attention. And here's a little scientific bit that intrigues me. In December of 2012, our sun comes into direct alignment with the center of our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. And to add to that phenomenal bit of information is that in scientific papers and I think National Geographic, they are saying that scientists are, are have been picking up radio signals coming out of the center of the galaxy. So, hey, are they trying to tell us something? Are, are we trying to, are they, could we maybe get a message from our neighbors? Or could it be that the uh, energy forces of this planet will be shifted in some way? And there's really no doubt that we're long overdue for some serious geophysical changes, earthquakes. We've already had some tsunamis and, and uh, volcanoes and things like this. Now, I don't think, there's a new movie coming out that I haven't seen, the 2012 movie. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't seen it, but I've seen the trailers, and apparently, like, the whole world blows up, and <laughs> mountains fall, and cracks open up, and, you know, everybody falls in the cracks or something. But I, I think there are going to be some serious geophysical changes, but I think most of us will watch it on TV. Um, I really think that by 2013, uh, say mid-2013, that pretty much all of us will still be here. But I will say this. I think that in mid-2013, we'll be able to look at each other and say, you know, we're not living in the same world that we were living in in late 2009. Just as right now today, we can all look at each other and agree we're not living in the same world that we were living in pre-9-11. Exactly. Absolutely. Now, just to wrap things up, of course, uh, you've got Sisterhood of the Rose. If it's not available right now, it will be very, very soon. And folks should check out sisterhoodoftherose.org for information on that. But what else is next for you? We talked uh, before the interview, you do have a, a new uh, nonfiction book in the works. So we're not losing you to fiction or faction because we, the esoteric community can't afford to lose you, Jim. So we need you in, in our realm. No, I'm I'm still tracking it along, trying to tell <laughs> truth as best as I can find it. Yes, I just turned in a manuscript to Harper Collins, and uh, they've assured me they're going to try to rush this into publication, and they're talking about sometime in the spring. Now I don't know if that means April or June or whenever, but uh, but be sure and watch for that. I'm not sure they've even got a title set for it yet, but uh, uh, maybe we can talk about that as it gets a little closer. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, the website is jimmars.com. As I said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Jim Mars lit the fuse for my whole interest in the esoteric. There wouldn't be even All of America Audio without him. We're well over 100 episodes deep into this program now. We've established ourselves as one of the premier podcasts uh, of the paranormal and parapolitical field ever since our first conversation with Jim Mars way back four years ago. He's a hero to me. He's definitely a mentor to me. He's a friend. 
and it's just been a real thrill to interview you here for the fifth time ever, and it gets easier each time. I get a little less nervous every time I talk to you, Jim. <laughs> um, and yeah, you're, getting pretty, you're getting pretty slick. <laughs> I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thanks once again for coming on the show and helping us kick off a whole new season of the program, Jim. It's my pleasure. It's good to be with you, and hey, love, life, peace, and you know, let's hope for a better new year. That does it for our fifth annual interview with Jim Mars to kick off the season of BOA Audio, but the fun does not stop there. Up next, we've got for you an amazing, enlightening, and compelling conversation with Governor Jesse Ventura. Huge name, superstar in the world of American politics and pop culture. Very excited to be bringing him here to BOA Audio for all of our great listeners let me give you a little thumbnail look at what we're going to be talking about. Let me give you a little thumbnail look at what we're going to be talking about. We'll find out about Jesse's new TV series, Conspiracy Theory, with Jesse Ventura, which debuts next week on True TV. He's going to talk about why it seems like conspiracy theories have been marginalized by the mainstream media. And we're going to delve into a variety of different conspiracy theories, ranging from the JFK assassination to 9-11 to the UFO phenomenon, as well as 2012. It was a really fun conversation for me. It was kind of stressful because I've never had this kind of tight window of time to conduct an interview, but I hope all the great folks out there listening enjoy it. Let me give you a little bio on Jesse Ventura for those listeners who are unfamiliar with his background. Jesse Ventura is an American politician, retired professional wrestler and color commentator, Navy UDT veteran, an actor best known for the films Predator and Running Man, and a former radio and television talk show host. As a professional wrestler, he is best known for his tenure in the World Wrestling Federation as a wrestler and color commentator, and in 2004, he was inducted into the company's Hall of Fame. From 1991 to 1995, he was the mayor of Minnesota's sixth largest city, Brooklyn Park, and in the Minnesota gubernatorial election of 1998, running as an independent and member of the Reform Party, he was elected the 38th governor of Minnesota and served from January 4th, 1999, to January 6, 2003. He is the author of I Ain't Got Time to Bleed, Do I Stand Alone, Jesse Ventura Tells It Like It Is, and Don't Start the Revolution Without Me. He's also the star of the new TV series Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura, premiering December 2nd at 10 p.m. on True TV. You can find out more about the program at www.truetv.com. Check it out. Before I unleash the interview on you, I want to give a huge thanks to Jason Powell of ProWrestling.net for hooking me up with the means to make this interview possible here for BOA Audio. Jason Powell is awesome. He is a fantastic reporter on the world of professional wrestling. I highly recommend anybody with an interest in finding out what's really going on in the world of professional wrestling to check out his website, ProWrestling.net. Pretty simple, all one word, ProWrestling.net. Check it out. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on November 11th, 2009. Governor Jesse Ventura on the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 5. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest here for our season premiere. He's got a big special coming up. Actually, it's a whole new series, Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. And there's a one-hour series premiere on Wednesday, December 2nd at 10 p.m. on True TV. Check your local listings to find out about that. Governor Ventura, thank you so much for coming on the show, giving us a little bit of time here. I'm a longtime fan, grew up listening to you on WWE, and now, you know, has have followed your political career with great interest and very excited as 
an esoteric radio host that you've really uh, sort of embraced the paranormal, parapolitical, esoteric community, if you will. Well, I don't know about all them big words, Tim, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll take it for granted, I, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, no, I, I've just, uh, you know, it, it actually started for me during my wrestling career when uh, when we went from dr uh, the territorial of driving in cars to being national and flying on planes. Well, when you spend all your days and time sitting in airports and riding on planes, uh, I took up reading, and I would read and read and read, and I probably read more books then than I did during my educational part of my life. And one of the readings I always enjoyed was to study the murder of President Kennedy, and, and I did that for 20-some years, and so uh, it was a natural transition, I guess, for this show to happen at some point, because I'm a great believer that uh, you don't go along to get along. I believe that you question things, and especially when it, when it comes to the government, because in my 58 years on the planet now, the government has lied to me a great deal, and they don't have a great deal of credibility with me anymore. And so when they tell me something, I take it with that grain of salt of them not being very truthful to begin with. And so I go from there. And so this has been a fun show to go into places that I never even knew existed and to uh, raise to light a few questions about conspiracies. And I'll say this. People can say they don't believe any of the seven we've done. That's fine. That's their prerogative. But if they watch the shows and pay attention to them, they will scare you. And isn't that what good TV is about when you're out to do that? If you're out to scare people and you can accomplish that, this show's going to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw the preview, and it looks really riveting. And i got to give you credit because you got a lot of folks on there that the people who listen to our show will know about. Alex Jones, Catherine Albrecht, Nick Well, we call, you know, we call Alex now Huggy Bear. <laughs> no, you know why? What's that? Well, remember the old Starsky and Hutch? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, way back, uh, well, they, they they had the guy who always fed him information. They called him Huggy Bear. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And so we've named Alex Huggy Bear now. He's kind of on the cat on the crew. We always refer to him as Huggy Bear. <laughs> That's great. Now, as I said, this is sort of a esoteric, parapolitical show in and of itself here, my show, and and so we don't really need you to sell the the conspiracy theories to the audience because they already they're subscribers to this. They've looked into okay, it. Okay, good. Know, they, well, then they're they're going to love this show oh, because. Yeah. This show uh, tells it from the conspirator side that uh, we're not uh, siding with the government. We're opening the doors to all these questions, and there's nothing wrong with answering questions and and asking questions. And we have to get that back in our country that it's okay to ask a question. Exactly. That's sort of right where I was headed uh, with this question. That's just sort of... You know, people like you and I who are interested in the conspiracy theories um, and conspiracy theories in general seem to have been marginalized by the mainstream media. And I know you've had a lot of dealings, obviously, with the media for a very long time. Why do you think it is that, you know, all of a sudden it became not okay to ask these questions? Because the media is in the back pocket of the government. In my opinion, the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw it clearly when I ran for office as a third-party candidate. I was treated completely differently. There was a separate set of rules for me that didn't apply to the two mainstream candidates and the government okay candidates. 
Uh, case in point, I'll give you the best example that's clear. When I first got in office, I wrote my autobiography. The mainstream media attacked me. They said that I was uh, a profiteer, that I'd won this office and was using it only to make profit and sell books and make money, right? Yeah. Two months later, John McCain comes through on a book tour and they herald him. <laughs> now, how come he can write a book and the mainstream media says, oh, what a marvelous book of knowledge that John McCain's giving us, and yet when I write the book, I'm called the profiteer. Exactly. So that's so I know what it's like to deal from the point of the third party, which leads you to believe that conspiracies do exist, because let me tell you this unequivocally, the main goal of these two political parties is to ensure that a third one doesn't arrive. They will work together to ensure that a third party cannot rise up. Absolutely, yeah. I heard you on Larry King uh, a few nights ago on election night, and you kind of yeah. made that point, and you know, they sort of just glossed over it, and it was like, no, he made an amazing point that needs to be further extrapolated. But and, they won't. Yeah, exactly. They just let it fly, and they, they act like it's not important at all. And now to, to get into one specific conspiracy theory, I know that you're, uh, you know, you've really looked at the 9-11 uh, event from a very critical eye, and to those of us who've been watching the whole thing unfold, the 9-11 Truth Movement, it feels like it's lost a little bit of ground in the last few years, mainly uh, since about the fifth anniversary. And there's a little bit of trepidation from some of us who feel like it's in danger of becoming the new JFK assassination, where we're going to be sitting here 40, 50 years later, where the majority of Americans believe it was a conspiracy, but nobody's going to do anything about well it. I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings, but th I think that's very accurate what you're saying, and that's what they thrive upon. That's how that's how they pull it off. Yeah. Because of that, because as more time goes by, it falls further and further off the radar screen, and we could become more comfort. Let's remember something: people in this country like a comfort level. They don't like to be made uncomfortable. And when you talk about anything other than what the government said on 9-11, that makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so. they don't like that. And so I got the bad news for you. It is going to exactly end up like John F. Kennedy, See to where everyone's going to know it and believe it, but never officially will it ever be recorded or registered as that. The point being is right now when you look at it, okay, they named these 19 hijackers, right? Mm -hmm. Well, five of them are still alive. How come they haven't been removed from the list? Yeah, yeah. You know, and then you get to the point of bin Laden himself. We're a country that runs by the rule of law, and you have to follow the systematic rule of law. Why hasn't he been indicted for this crime? They've convicted him, but they haven't even indicted him. That's like the Wild West. Yes. They put a bounty on his head. They've convicted him, but he's never been indicted and certainly never had a trial. Exactly. And yet yeah. the people are willing to accept this simply because the government told them so. Well, that's the that's the big crux. That's the big issue, I guess. Is it is it too late? What can we do? What can and should people do to affect this kind of change that we need? Educate yourself. Continue to ask questions. Don't allow them to say if you question something, you're unpatriotic. Always remember, dissension's the greatest form of patriotism, and our forefathers knew that. That's why they created the Bill of Rights. We've got to fight and get it back. Get back the ability of, of and stop living and believing that the government will protect you, but in order to protect 
you. They have to take your freedoms. Personally, I would rather live in danger and have my freedoms than I would to be protected and have no freedoms. For sure, yeah. Well, well gotta... that's what we're letting slip away. And what can people do? Stop voting for Democrats and Republicans. How's that for the first start? Do you think it's possible for a third party to even make it? Anything's possible. <laughs> do I think that it's that it's probable? No, but it's still possible, and you can still have the belief, and you can still live the dream. That's right. You got to try. Exactly. You got to try. Yeah, exactly. It's that simple. If you quit trying, they win. Exactly. Now I'm, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm looking at some of these, uh, some of the topics and conspiracies you're investigating on this series, and this one it's a little sticky here, so I'm gonna do my best. But uh, one big conspiracy that I didn't see listed is, uh, of course, the UFO phenomenon. I've never heard you speak on that. It's very dangerous territory to sort of uh, have a foot in both worlds. Well, I'll put it to you this way: I've never studied it. You know, I know of Area 51 and all that, and I've heard the tales of it. And it's been exploited to the point, what what, what could I add? Okay, Nothing. Yeah. There's people that know way more about it than me, and my interest isn't there right now. I'll put it to you this way. My buddies and I were way up north one time, and we were all laying back in our, in our sleeping bag staring up at the sky. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget one of my friends kind of mumbling, oh, yeah, we're the only ones. And we all burst out laughing because when you look at this vast heavens and I see it down in the Baja because I live where there's no electricity Mm -hmm. so I can really see out there. When you look at all that mass out there, anyone who for one moment believes we're the only living life is crazy. Now, is there anything of these episodes that you did that really sort of stunned you in a, in a way where you really had to give a second look at some of this stuff? Oh, know. yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, 2012 is very, very disturbing. Really? Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. What what, what does Well, it goes that? beyond just the Mayans. And when I learned about it, I found out that the Mayans uh, were very good, that, that even with all our great technology today, we can't dispel the things that they knew way back then which is remarkable. Yeah. And in light of that fact, uh, much of what we learned about 2012 is backed up by NASA. So it's not just the Mayan calendar, which states that, you know, on December 21st of 2012, the world as we know it will end and a new world will begin. There is evidence that concurs that uh, that scenario, to what level we don't know, could well happen. Exactly, yeah. It's very intriguing. It yeah, it's very intriguing and scary stuff because this is not stuff where you necessarily can point the finger at the government. This is stuff that's happening out in our solar system. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I have a harder time controlling that. I don't know about you, but I don't have any control over anything going on out there. <laughs> no, I, last I checked, I do not either. So we're in the same boat. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, and, and so I found that, you know, Getting into this stuff was very mind-provoking and intriguing, but I will be honest, there were times I came home and plopped down in the chair and I looked at my wife and said, you know, I didn't really need to learn what I learned today. You say that in a way where you'd rather have not known it? Yeah. In many ways, ignorance is bliss sometimes. Absolutely. As someone who's been in this for five or six years, I can totally agree with you on that. (laughs) No, I did. I'd come home to my wife and go, I didn't need to learn what I learned today. (laughs) You know? And uh, and, and I know the type of person she is, so I've shielded some of it from her. 
Well, <laughs> because she's the type of person that will worry more than I will. I can go into an Alfred E. Newman mode if I have to. Exactly. Well, when you're mixed up with a lot of this stuff, uh, sometimes your family's the hardest people to talk to about it because yeah. either they don't believe or you don't want to worry them about that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm really excited to see the new show. It really but anyway, did great. I answer about the UFOs? It's Again, it's because I, I don't really have nothing to add on them that hasn't been said. And I really don't know enough about them other than I, I will tell you a funny story, though. You know, I drive to and from Mexico every year, mm -hmm. and we drove very close to Roswell. Mm -hmm. And it was late at night, and we pulled into this diner, and I swear to God, my waitress was an alien. <laughs> and my wife had gone to the ladies' room, and when she came back, I told her, and she looked too, because this was the most bizarre person I'd ever seen in a while, and I've seen some bizarre people. Well, keep looking into the UFO community. And, <laughs> <laughs> and all I know is we were right by Roswell, and I looked at her and said, you don't really think, do you? And she was, oh, she was meaner than a snake. The waitress. Yeah. And I could only assume that she was probably this highly intellectual intellectual hiding under this facade of being a tr truck stop waitress. And it was frustrating because she had to have this brilliant intelligence and keep it hidden. Interesting, yeah. Does that sound like a good scenario? That sounds intriguing, yeah. That's great. That is great. As you can tell, I was driving too long and was too tired that day. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we're, we're right up against the clock, and I know you got uh, sure. tons of interviews that you have scheduled for today. I hope that we can get you back on here for a longer conversation. Um, well, Tim, I'd love to. And, and, you know, as time, you know, I, I leave the country now because I go all, down all winter, but in the springtime I've got a, I have another book that will be coming out. So I'll be doing a big, massive book tour again. So uh, keep that in mind, and hopefully they can book you on that, and we'll talk again. Absolutely. Now, Governor Ventura, thank you so much for coming on the show. You really added some extra star power and spice here to our season premiere. I'm really looking forward to the new show, Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura, one-hour series premiere on Wednesday, December 2nd at 10 p.m. on True TV. Check your local listings to find out how to uh, grab that. Put it on your TiVo and watch it, folks. Jesse's doing a great service to all of us in the parapolitical and esoteric community by giving an outlet to many of these experts to uh, get their information out there. So thanks again, Jesse, for coming on the show. Okay, my pleasure, Tim. Good luck. Thanks a lot. That does it for the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 5. Hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did putting it together and putting it out for all of you. Big, big, super huge thanks, of course, go out to Jim Mars and Governor Jesse Ventura. You can find out more from Jim Mars at www.jimmars.com, J-I-M-M-A-R-R-S.com. And you can find out more about Governor Ventura's upcoming TV series, Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura, at the website, www.truetv.com, T-R-U-T-V.com. Check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio listener feedback, but since it is the first episode of the season, we're going to askew reading any listener emails in favor of sort of just pushing things along here and wrapping up the episode. I know a lot of folks are getting ready to get a move on for their Thanksgiving holiday. I want to wish all the great BOA Audio listeners in America a very happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the time with your family and friends. Please be careful. Don't drink and drive and have a great Black Friday as well. We will resume BOA Audio listener feedback next week. We already have a boatload of emails ready to be read here 
at the end of the program over the next few weeks, but we're always looking to hear from the great POA Audio listeners. How do you get in touch with me? That's simple. There's three methods. Let me go through them nice and quick for you. First, you can go to banalofamerica.com. Just simply click the contact button. That'll have all the information you need to shoot me an email. Or you can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com. And the last big method to get in touch with me is a little more interactive. It is, of course, the official BOA forum, the US of E.com, T H E U S O F E.com. A lot of great folks on there. Always some fun and interesting conversations taking place at the official BOA forum, the US of E.com. Check it out. Join up. It's free. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get your feedback on all the various BOA audio episodes. One more big thing I want to talk about here is something that we teased on the season finale of BOA Audio Season 4. And it is something you can check out at Ben All of America pretty soon, maybe even by the time you're listening to this. It is BOA 2.0. Ever since the season finale, we have been hard at work putting together an amazing new look for Ben All of America. I say we, but really it is the work of one man, Jeremy Boston, who has become our de facto webmaster of sorts. He is ultra-talented, just tremendously gifted when it comes to web design. I am so excited to be rolling out BOA 2.0 for all you folks very, very soon. Check out banalofamerica.com. There will be a BOA 2.0 link on there. We're going into a beta phase for the next month where we work out the kinks of BOA 2.0, so you'll be able to check that out. And as we close out the year, we'll make the full transition to BOA 2.0. As I said, right now we're going to launch the beta phase in the next day or so. And that'll last about a month. And we want your feedback on BOA 2.0 beta so we can make sure that we get all the kinks worked out and make all the necessary improvements that people want to see at Banal of America. So go on over to BOA, look for the BOA 2.0 link, and that'll bring you to the whole new look for Banal of America. And now, of course, it is time for the thanks portion of the show. The BOA staff has kept Banal of America chock full of amazing esoteric insights and columns over the last two months while I've been putting together BOA Audio Season 5. A hearty thanks to them for all of their hard work. They are, of course, Leslie, Chiron, R. Lee, Joe V., Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, A.M. Murphy, Marla Pena, and our webmaster, Jeremy Boston. I couldn't even begin to run down all the awesome stuff that you can find at BOA. Just go there and check it out. Tons of great columns from the awesome BOA staff. As we say all the time here at the end of the program, if you're only listening to Ben All of America and you're not reading the columns at BOA, you're only getting half the story. Ben All of America, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. And if you're a first-time listener to the program, you can find out more from us at the website, www.binnallofamerica.com. Check it out. I want to thank everybody who responded to our call for donations at the close of BOA Audio Season 4. You guys are awesome. You have helped us out in a huge way. And once again, it's time for me to turn to the folks who have yet to make a donation and ask you to help us out. We've got... Easily two months worth of material already sitting on the BOA hard drive, ready to roll out for all of you folks. Interviews with all kinds of guests, calls to all over the world. Definitely they are going to cost me a pretty penny when my phone bill comes in next month, and thus I ask you to make a donation. 
How do you do that? That's simple. You just go to banalofamerica.com and click the PayPal button. It's pretty prominent and easy to find. Once you click that, they'll walk you through the process. It's really very simple and as always, no donation is too small and all donations go towards Ben All of America and BOA Audio in order to keep the program and the website up and running, freely available, and commercial free for all of our listeners and readers the world over. Next week on the program, dropping on you December 2nd at BOA, our guest is esteemed esoteric researcher Joshua P. Warren and I haven't even edited the episode yet. I'm going to take care of that tomorrow, so I can't give you a super detailed look at what we're going to be talking about, but let me hit on some of the highlights and some of the big points we're going to be discussing. We'll hear about his latest book, The Secret Wisdom of the Kukulkan. We're going to talk about his research into phantomals. We're going to go over his in-depth investigation of hoaxes and why it's important to learn about hoaxes. We're going to talk about his fascinating travels to Puerto Rico looking for various cryptids and esoteric legends. We're going to hear all about his film Inside the Church of Satan. Amazing stuff there. And he'll give us the chilling accounts of the Popobawa, the demon serial rapist of Zanzibar. And those are just the highlights. Those are just the big points we're going to be talking about, plus tons and tons more. It's a nearly two-hour conversation with Joshua Warren, esteemed esoteric researcher. He's a master of hauntings research now he's moving into ufo research he's also done some remarkable investigation into applying science to the paranormal it really is quite a fascinating conversation definitely want to check that out next week at benallofamerica.com be there or be square and on that note we wrap up the season premiere of Ben All of america audio season five one down 30 plus to go I'm so excited about what we have in store for you folks. It's going to be a wild ride over the next few weeks and months. It's great to be back. Thank you so much for your support of Been All of America. Thank you for being patient with us as we took our annual hiatus. And as always, I thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall. Thanking you for listening and signing off.